Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Time, Time Bandits, Bandits Minute. Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits. One minute at a time. Well, let's uh, let's just start off by saying we're talking about Minute 10 of Time Bandits. Do you want to get into the Time Bandits Minute? We are being joined today by... I am Rick from the Mad Max Minute. And I am Julia, also from the Mad Max Minute. Yay! Welcome to the Time Bandits Minute, guys. Yep. We are su- it's such an honor to have the Mad Max people on board today. Well, <laughs> and so early in the movie, but during such an important scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, today's minute starts with this fantastic dialogue, uh, wonderful old vaudevillian dialogue, and ends with our crew on the run. And uh, or well, they're they're very alarmed at something that's starting to happen, and it's a wonderful a wonderful piece of the film. This is one of the biggest WTF moments so far, uh, up until now, with the horse coming out of the closet and the bandits spilling out. It's been pretty strange, but this is like kicked up to another whole level here. This is uh, this is a wonderful a wonderful piece of the movie. These three minutes here is a wonderful piece of the film. But we start with one of my favorite dialogue bits in the movie, where the bandits are like. That's not him. Doesn't sound like him. Doesn't even look like him. It isn't him. Let's get him. <laughs> I just think that's a, it's such a Muppets, uh, you know, vaudevillian kind of a thing. I love it. Like they've developed a hive mind after working so long together. They're just all speaking up. Whereas like the, the product of teammates working together for millennia, or it's just a hapless bunch of idiots on the same level. But I love that sequence. And, and it's a lot like the, uh, you must teach your food, yeah. and then go to bed. Yeah. It's the same kind of uh, timing going on. Yeah, yeah. The over the over explanation of a line of logical thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the out loud mental process that's just like, yeah. But then they uh, they full on charge Kevin's bed and jump onto it and dog pile on Kevin, jumping on him and hitting him with lots of clinking and banking and rustling and yelling. Uh, it seems to be annoying and confusing Kevin more than actually hurting him or scaring him. But this is this is my first issue with with the movie since we started. Okay, what are they doing? Because they're clearly not causing him any permanent harm. Mm-hmm. So you would think what they would be doing is beating him up, but that's not what they're doing. So what are they doing? Well, I think they're attempting to. They're just failing. You know, there's six of them, yeah, and just one little boy. One of them brings his uh, fist up and then brings it down. So I think the tent is that they're attempting to assault him or contain him, or like, but yeah, but nobody's like get a rope, you know, or tie him up. It's like that Muppet beating where people are just yeah. flailing their wrists against him and not really doing anything. That's a, well, I think that's exactly what it is. I promise, if six dwarves jumped on me and started punching me, I'd end up with bruises and I'd, you know, walk bent over for the next couple of days. Yeah. If there's twelve sets of hands beating on me, and yet Kevin is just like, eh, I'm good. I think the comedy here is supposed to be comedy, and I think that if we perceived that Kevin was literally in danger and he got a black eye out of this altercation or something, that would be a whole different movie. And so I think it's that they're supposed to be comedically ineffectual the way they jump on them and just roll around because they're coming across as incredibly impulsive they just sort of like get him and then they're like oh okay like you know joker like i chase cars i wouldn't know what to do with one if i caught one like they're like let's get him and then they pile on and then they're like oh okay we got him uh now what but yeah then and well then that's the next issue what were they what were they planning on doing with them once they got i think they were trying to just 
Well, it seems like they want to identify him because Randall says, quick, Strutter, get his torch. Shine it right. right in the face. And Strutter shines the torch <laughs> in Randall's face. And Randall says, his face, dummy. But then they they bound into action. And I love this part because they shine the flashlight in Kevin's face. And someone says, it's a kid. And then Randall barks, Og, fidget, check the door. And there's another wonderful piece of comedy here where Og runs to the door, puts a plank from the broken bookshelf on his back and bends over creating a ramp and then fidget runs up the ramp looks at the door i guess in the script it says he's checking for light through the transom or a door jam or listening for sound and he says all clear but in the in the actual movie it doesn't look like the door has thing above the the door yeah there, so. i noticed that like what exactly did he check nothing yeah. there wasn't anything yeah. to check yeah, I kind of like that. Like, he's just looking at the door. It's just an opaque, regular door. And he's like, yep, all clear. Like, what did you... <laughs> I was really tickled by the cooperation, though, the the bookshelf ramp yeah. and running up it. I thought that was excellent. Very visual. It was great. Yeah, a wonderful piece of uh, physical business. Well, so when I was a kid, I assumed there was a peephole that I just wasn't aware of. Because I was a dumb ten year old and why wouldn't there be people there if he was going up to look? Yeah. It gave me it gave the impression there was something for him to look through. And he did put his face up to the door like he was looking through a peephole. Yeah. You sort of it just kinda of goes by like you don't really notice it until you're looking at it in a situation like this and you're like, That door just seems like a regular door. Right. Then about the 300th time I watched it, I was like, hey, <laughs> wait a second. This movie is ruined. This door has so many strange qualities about it, because on yeah. the one hand, it is in- incredibly soundproofing in that <laughs> Kevin can close the door and completely cut off the sound from downstairs. And yet it's not soundproof in that Kevin can be sitting in his bed or banging on the wall or something like that. And his dad will come in and yell at him for making too much mm-hmm. noise and having the light on. So I watched this movie for the first time yesterday. And hey, all right. It was a ride. Ever? Yeah, first time ever. Yeah, wow. me too. Oh, excellent. Yep. Never, excellent. Never excellent. seen the movie, never nice. had any desire to see the movie. You guys uh, not forced me into this. I, introduced that, us to it. Introduced us to it. Thank you, Julia. That was That's a good way there to put you it. Go. So <laughs> the way that the dwarves are introduced in this scene... And their first instinct is to go on the attack. It's such a chaotic instance of action. I'm like, I was very confused as to what the heck was going on, who these people were. And the only direction I had was what was in the trailer. I knew these are, I know these are main characters, but everything is so dark and there are so many abstract shapes. This is an interesting way to introduce the majority of your main characters. So then we we have to ask, which trailer did you see? So the trailer that I saw was one where it was Michael Palin coaching another voice actor through the trailer. And this other voice actor was not sticking to script, adding a lot of his own commentary, and they were just constantly playing clips from the movie in the background. Yeah. Were you old enough to see this movie when it came out? No, Rick wasn't even born yet. Well, where did you see the trailer? Did you did you look it up online? Oh, yeah. I, I searched it out on YouTube because I wanted to yeah. get a sense of what we were getting into yeah. before we sat down to watch it. Yeah. 
that automatically that automatically surfaces the surfaces the English trailer yeah. first. I don't know if I would have liked, been interested in this movie had I seen the English trailer. It's first. very strong. It's very long, and it's very meta. The whole uh, very, yeah. the movie announcer derailing and being argued with by a cast member. That's not something I saw in a movie trailer um, in a North American movie trailer until like the comedian, yeah. the, the Jerry Seinfeld movie with the uh, in a world right. guy, and they're, they're, the sound guy's like, no, 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 in a world, and he's like, one man. <laughs> No, no one man. And uh, I got the sense that they wanted, I should say, the advertisers wanted to essentially tell people, listen, this is pretty much going to be a Monty Python joint, but it's not actually a Monty Python production. Like, you're going to see your Monty Python characters. It's that same sort of humor that you get from Terry Gilliam in Flying Circus and all of these other things. But this is Terry Gilliam's own thing. He's in charge. So you are going to see familiar faces, but, you know, put on your seatbelts for this. (laughs) I completely misunderstood what movie we were watching. I thought we were watching Timeline (laughs) from 2003. Uh, is that wow. the, is that with Mark Hamill? That's the one with no, no, uh, the Billy one, Boyd, uh, right? They go back in time. Yeah, they go back in time. It's um, yeah, uh, Paul Walker <laughs> and um, Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. They go back in time. Yeah, have some adventuring. Yeah, Billy Connolly is yes, the Connolly. professor they have to go That's after. The movie Holy that God. I thought we were I'm watching. watching. Yeah. So when you know Rick, <laughs> when Rick set up that we were going to join you guys, he's like, "Okay, we're going to watch Time Bandits." I've been thinking about timeline for the last couple of weeks like oh okay we're gonna we'll watch right. it the night before review our minutes oh. and then we'll be on and then rick played the the trailer i'm like wait what i read the book that timeline <laughs> was based this? on and uh yeah <laughs> I, I enjoyed the novel i did too and it was much better than i have movie. heard that yeah. before that the book is excellent yeah. so i was completely thrown off I'm like i have no earthly idea what we're talking about <laughs> watching the movie last night was a the shock movie was unwanted timeline oh yeah no doubt. <laughs> well, so then, Julia, it sounds like you're the one we want to drill down on a little bit. <laughs> you had no idea what you were in for. Uh, what happened when you saw these dwarves come out and start beating this little kid up? I was confused for the first half hour of the movie. This movie was billed as Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, what's his name? Yeah. You know, big names that yeah, I know. Yeah. Mona from Who's the Boss? I couldn't wait to see her. I adore her. So I was yep, yep. I was expecting them to be the plot. But then I'm a half hour in and I haven't seen any of them yet. It was weird. I was confused. I wish that they had billed this group of actors as the stars because they are the stars. Yeah. And just because they're not the big star names doesn't mean they don't deserve top billing for this movie. I think that's a shame. Mm-hmm. And it was also misleading. I misunderstood what was going yep. to happen because... I thought Sean Connery was the lead. No, nah, he had like right. two minutes of screen time. Yeah. He was barely yeah. here. Uh, so I think the way they build this movie is a shame and deeply disrespectful to the actual starts of the movies of the movie. Mm-hmm. Just because yeah, I, think, I think it's just because they're dwarves and they're not big stars. Yeah. Figuratively. Yeah. No, I think you're, ex- you're... I, don't, I don't know how I don't know how disrespectful that is. I, I kind of feel, I'm kind of sympathetic to the studio in this case because one, they were making, they wanted to, to emphasize the Monty Python aspect in England. Yeah. And they wanted to get those names in there. And then they also wanted people to come see it. So 
you would have to talk about Sean Connery and <laughs> yeah, it's cut, but it's like uh, the first Superman starring Marlon Brando. Right. Yeah, right, and he's he's like in the first four minutes of the film, and then that's it. It's an aspect and, uh, of Hollywood that really it's those marketing guys say, "Hey, we've got to push the big names." That's why so many promising actors are shoved into the background because you have to bring forward. Oh yes, right. We're you have to convince people to see your movie. Mm-hmm. And if you don't push forward John Cleese and Sean Connery, then no one's going to see the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a, a lot a lot of people probably had your experience of it. Like a lot of people yeah. were like, so was, where's... Right. I kept waiting you know. for the movie to get started. Yeah. But yeah. if I went back and saw it a second time and then, you know, knowing that this is the plot of the movie, go ahead, get invested. Yeah. This is it. It comes across as much more fun. It's It's not confusing. Mm. When you when you mm-hmm. know what's going to happen, you know that you're not waiting around for the stars to show up. This this scene is a ton of fun, and it absolutely introduces mm-hmm. you to the characters of this this group of yeah this group of are there six of them or seven of them? I the six six, the six. okay I can never tell because there's just so many. <laughs> yeah, it's just so good. They're very they very consciously <laughs> chose six because they didn't want to get in any trouble with Disney. Ah, good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we learn a lot about them in this minute, the way they work together and not work together, mm-hmm. and the way they behave. It's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, the characters are drawn exquisitely. Each of them stay true to their character throughout the movie, and it starts here. You've got the wild ones, you've got the, the ones that are stupid, you've, you've got the smart leader. Everybody is in a character and reacts to Kevin in character. Yeah. Yeah, they've all got a slightly different flavor, which I, I really, really enjoy. Yeah, we learned something important about Kevin, too, is that he is the victim of this mauling on in his own yeah. bed, and he doesn't mind. <laughs> he's a little, yeah. yeah, he's a little confused, but he doesn't freak mm-hmm. out. He doesn't panic. He doesn't cry out. He just kind of takes it and, yeah. and moves forward with them anyways, because he's... He very much goes with the flow. He's open and believing and trusting and the perfect kid to go on this adventure. Most kids For could sure. not do this, what he's about to do. The perfect kid to go on the but adventure. But he loves history and he's smart and he's easygoing and he's perfect. Here's a, a question for you. This is kind of an aside, but there's a movie or a TV poster on the door uh, and it's covered by coats. And it sort of looks like it says maybe Kevin on the bottom in a bright white square. But the poster itself seems to have a spaceship coming in from the side. And it looks like it may say ship on the top and D-E-R on the bottom of the logo, like Starship Rider or something like that. Could you figure that out? It looks like it's like 1970s British sci-fi, but I'm not sure if it's just something Terry Gilliam made up for the set to hang on the back of the door or if, or if, uh, or if it's an actual. I couldn't place it. He's got like an open comic book on his uh, desk in like a previous minute that I managed to track down, but I, uh, I couldn't track down this movie poster. Although I did find out a lot of really bizarre British science fiction movies that were made in the seventies and eighties. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy moly. It's like, you thought space well, 1999 was trippy. Check out this. Like it's yeah. Really wild stuff. I am pretty sure the last three letters on the poster are N. Hold on. N-D-E-R, like under. Yeah, okay. Yeah, wonder, or yeah, wonder, or wanders. Or something like that. And then the the letters that we can see on the top are, let me just get that paused again, are definitely, we saw a glimpse of an A, 
that is a P at the end. Yeah. Something ship. Probably starship and then something dur. <laughs> Nder. Starship Nder. Starship Nder. Oh, that, that classic. Starship Nder. Of course. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll track that one down. If no one's got any leads on I'll, I'll, I'll delve. You know, it's good to have a personal space that is well-defined, that people recognize as your space, so that way... You know, six random strangers don't come barging into your personal space and start molesting you. Right. Mm-hmm. If this poster had been on the closet door, maybe we wouldn't have had this movie. <laughs> the inside of the closet door. <laughs> so we go to the uh, the next bit of business here where they turn on the light and they tower over Kevin, uh, who's lying on the floor now. Because in the, in the script, it says they all get tangled up in the blankets and fall off. Uh, and, but that doesn't quite happen. They're just sort of on the floor now. And, uh, they said, Randall says, right, listen to me. Just tell us how to get out of here. Keep quiet and you won't get hurt. And Kevin offers the perfectly reasonable idea of, well, why don't you get out the way you came in? You know, he doesn't know what's going on. I mean, it's, it sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Mm-hmm. I have questions about the timeline of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Did they just get the map? Is is this? Oh my god! Okay, so <laughs> this is this is where we come back. We're we're kicking off. We're kicking off this today. They function as a well-oiled unit who has been together for a long time. But we know from a later minute that they just started. Yeah, but time is wibbly wobbly. So they're jumping around in time, but in a, in a later minute they talk about how. It was only their first robbery. Yeah. Okay. They, okay. They let they let it slip. They're like, oh, we're the worst bandits in the world, and it's like, is this easy? It's like, I don't know. Never done it before. And Randall's like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, oh no, uh oh. So they, they, we, we were, we were wondering if they had stolen the map literally just before coming out of Kevin's closet. We've got a lot of things that suggest history, like part of the raiding party, the leader of the raiding party, Horseflesh. The seventh dwarf was killed in a previous adventure. Yeah, that gets mentioned. So, so it's kind of back and forth. The evidence in the movie is kind of back and forth on what exactly is going on with the timeline. Yeah. And one of these days, I'm going to get out my red thread. I'm going to get out my red yarn. And I'm going to get out my blank wall. And I'm going to start mapping how they may have gotten to where they are. Yeah. That well, sounds like a that must. needs to be done. Yeah. You get to the thumbtacks and the... Glossy photographs and the string connecting to them on your on your big wall chart. You need something like that. Yep. I ask because once once we join them in earnest and they are on their adventures, they seem to be rather well versed in using the map and in finding and using and timing the holes, yeah. the doorways. But they seem to have ended up here kind of on accident. They don't know where they are. They don't know how to move forward. And this is really the only time that I can remember that they land somewhere like this. Most of the yeah. time when they land, it is chaotic, but they know where they are. Mm-hmm. Well, and they and like most of the time, they fall out of the sky. The fact that they ended up just walking out of a cabinet is also very yes. interesting. We've got a theory about this. We've we developed a theory that we're working on. Let's see what you guys think about it. First of all, they would know how to use the map because they are God's right. angels. Things were designed badly in the beginning, and there are holes all over the place. And not all of them were mapped, because it is a huge, infinite universe. So they took a wrong turn at Albuquerque and ended up someplace that was not on the map. 
Yeah. I mean, it sounds it's, right. It's appropriately yeah. cartoonish. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's that's our working theory right now about Kevin's room. Well, because one of them mentions, you know, where are we? He's like, I don't know. It's not on the map. So whatever's happening in Kevin's room is uh, is a unique thing. And it's unique in a couple of different ways. Uh, yeah. It's unique how they get there and unique how they exit. Mm-hmm. So there is a time hole in Kevin's room. Yeah. And the time hole seemed to be temporary. Yeah. Or, or recurring. Yes. Maybe on a loop or... On a, I, my, my theory is on a loop. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because there is a map of them and they know they've got 10 minutes until it opens. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, and it, and it goes with something. It goes with something later on that we talked about with um with Sean Connery's character Eggman. No, 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 that's okay. I'm just thinking about the fire. I'm thinking about his bedroom as a time hole, and mm-hmm. how how he would move forward in his life knowing that his bedroom is a time hole. Mm-hmm. But then I remember at the end of the mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. where the house gets destroyed. Does he get like completely destroyed? It doesn't collapse or anything like that, but the fire department does leave. So I yeah. imagine that whatever damage has been done is finished happening. Okay, mm-hmm. so jumping to the end of the movie, um, was that fire purposeful to destroy that time hole? Mm. That's a wow. good theory. Yeah. We haven't uh, we haven't uh, asked that question yet. His room is different than all the other time holes that we've seen, and it's not mapped. Yeah. So. Could that work of the fire uh, be the work of whatever team is now working to clean up and repair holes and and stuff? Oh, oh man! That, that I love is it. though that the new team of angels—that's their work. That's what they did to clean up. They burned down the house. The, the uh, oh, maybe like B team or maybe the night crew. Like these dwarves are the day crew. Their first shift. And you got second shift that has to come in and fill in when they turn to banditry. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to follow behind these guys and destroy all of these holes so that they can't keep going through them. Or, no, no, legitimately repair them. Right. Yeah. Right. Or maybe this is how they legitimately repair them. Burn it to the ground. Right. Okay, there goes the hole. (laughs) Well, how does a wormhole... Okay, so... I love this theory, and every time Duck and I have someone new on the show, we get a new, different theory. So far, we get a new, different theory about how all this works. So, with your guys' theory, they burn the house down to get rid of the time hole. How does burning the house down affect a wormhole? Yeah. I'm thinking that it doesn't affect the, the hole, the actual hole. What it affects is the access to the hole, the port. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead. let's go ahead and follow through on... On this line of thinking, um, we're gonna. We could probably get more into this in the, in a later minute, so we'll just do it as food for thought right now. The wall that they had to push to go down the long hallway to get to the time to the wormhole to the time door is now mm-hmm. gone. It's it's part of it's gone. So well, that, yeah, that's yeah. what did his room look like? What did his room look like before the fire started? A regular room. Yeah, I mean, was it? Was the wall now gone between when he left and, and when he appeared back? Uh, in his bed? I don't know. When he wakes up in the bed, it would be cool to go through that minute with a microscope and see if the wall is back where yeah. it was. Yeah, I think it would. Or if it's uh, or if the wall's missing or if they just don't don't address it. Yeah, they don't give him am, the chance to push on the wall because the firefighters break in and pull him out. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or the wall would be still missing, right? There'd just be a long hallway there with it empties into null space or wherever that place but that's cool that is food for thought for a later minute for sure yeah. Man, for those, sure 
British things. People just obsessed with stuff being bigger on the inside. Oh, and it's so good though. It's so it's such a nice. I don't know. We could we could yeah we could talk about that later. But there's a few instances of that in a bunch of shows that I just uh, I I can't get enough of it. It's so wonderfully magical. Yeah, I love it. You're sort of like one fifth British, so that would be in your. Book. I am. I'm definitely <laughs> sort of like what. Well, my dad grew up in Glasgow, Scotland, so I've got some, some UK connections there. But uh, there's a good moment here where Randall picks up Kevin by the collar, and Kevin's like a, a you know a foot taller than Randall, but he's still like picking him up by the collar, and they all crowd around him and they push him over to one of the walls and they're badgering him and threatening him the whole way, all trying to be tough. They're like, "Don't try and be smart with me, you little creep. If you want to play it smart, I'll introduce you to Vermin. He eats anything." And uh, and then later he's like, oh, "I'm getting angry, and Vermin here is getting hungry, and there's lots of." growls and, and grunts and sounds of being mean and yeah yeah you know from the rest of the crowd it's so good it's just a, they, they they move like an amoeba they move like one entity in a lot of uh in a lot of in a lot of instances like there's some there's some arguing amongst themselves but they all they all tend to like move like a flock and it's it's wonderful and this is a tick on the other side of it maybe they haven't been bandits together forever but they definitely have been working in the shrubbery department oh, yeah. forever yeah. for centuries they've been a crew for a thousand years so they they can read each other's minds at this point for sure yeah. it's i've been wanting to ask this for a while now and the absurdity of the question is what has stopped me but <laughs> you could look at this situation and be like he's being accosted by six 3 foot dwarves so would it be better to be attacked by six three-foot dwarves or three six-feet men. And honestly, I would be more worried about the six three-foot dwarves just because there's so many of them as opposed to just yeah. three regular guys. Well, you've seen those videos of bees <laughs> attacking giant wasps. Yeah. And they yeah, they sure. swarm the wasp and they they vibrate and their heat kills the gigantic wasp. Yeah. So numbers count for a lot. Yeah, it's true. I'm just going to go ahead and go there because that's my job. Of course, I'm sure three quarters of the people in this room aren't saying it out loud, but we are afraid of three foot people attacking us because that is crossable <laughs> and that's where they're coming from. I love uh, this, uh, again, you know, I, we're going to keep giving props to the actor that plays Kevin here because he was just such a perfect, uh, perfect kid to, to carry this movie. But he does such a good job here being plaintive and earnest when he's like, I'm not trying to be smart. I'm just trying to help. I don't know anything. He's just so real, you know, and uh, and earnest in these moments where he's amazed at everything that's happening around him. But he's also like, he's like, I want it. I want to help you guys, you know, like. I, but what the hell is going on? You know, like, it's awesome. This kid just feels like a kid acting like he would really act. Yeah. There's nothing going on here that makes him seem like an actor. He's a big reason that you get so immersed in this movie. Yeah. Especially when you're 10 and watching it. And Rick and Julia, one thing that happened with uh, uh, with me and Curtis here is that we, I saw the movie when I was Kevin's age. Like, so I saw the movie as a 10-year-old watching this 11-year-old in the movie. So like my sort of connection to the lead of this film was uh, very intense. And he was the vehicle through which I was experiencing the movie. I wasn't watching a kid have an adventure. I was watching a, a fellow me have an adventure. So it was a, it was an intense thing. And his performance really helped with that because he wasn't like a, like a Jonathan Lipnicki or some kind of, you know, Hollywood, you know, 
but mom. Yeah, he wasn't you know, overplaying like it as oh, if he was yeah. on a Nickelodeon TV show. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't get ejected. I didn't have my immersion broken because he was such an authentic child. And as a child watching him, you know, real recognizes real or whatever. I was like, oh, there's a, a fellow kid having a, you know, a, a bizarre adventure. So you could put yourself right in this adventure. You could totally imagine that it was you, that this was happening to you. Yeah. But then he, uh, then we get the moment. Okay. So do you want to, you want to get into the moment? Uh, go ahead and lead me Okay, in. well, he gets out one last loud, uh, Kevin gets out one last loud, I don't know, and the wall of his room literally shifts with this very loud bass sound, like a ton of metal is being pushed across linoleum or something, and it's this wonderful, what just happened, you know, <laughs> moment where his entire wall just, like, shifts back, and uh, and Kevin has that wonderful reaction of, uh, oh, it's never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. This moment reminds me of uh, a bunch of other things. Like there's uh, a 1985 horror movie called House with uh, yeah. with uh, the guy that we're talking about House. Awesome. Yeah, and that's like there's there's like an endless space behind one of the mirrors and all these hidden pockets. And there's a, a really good book called The House of Leaves by Mark Danieluski, which is about this house where the guy's like, wait a second, this closet is two feet bigger than the exterior wall. So what is that? And then he uncovers more rooms in the house that plainly can't exist, but they're there. And then he undercovers Ooh. like a labyrinth that it's a beautiful, spooky, wonderful. It's the only book I had to put down because my sense of reality was being toyed with where I was like, okay, nice. I got to come back to this. This is really <laughs> freaking me out. And it's, it's high, highly recommended. And then, you know, of course, like you were talking about earlier, Doctor Who with the TARDIS and. And all that kind of stuff. And there's a wonderful commercial for Apple directed by Spike Jones, starring FKA Twigs, where she comes home and uh, does a little dance sequence and ends up her entire apartment starts distorting exactly like this. But when you have something as solid and as familiar as your room and one wall just bye bye, just, <laughs> you know, just goes, it's uh it's a wonderful like, OK, we're off. And I'd never seen anything like that in a movie at this point. So I remember being very, very hooked. Do you want to talk a little bit about the differences between the script and the comic and the novel? The novel didn't hit, didn't punch as good for me. It didn't have the uh, the cadence of it doesn't look like no. him. It doesn't even sound like him. None of that was there. No, that's uh, none of that's in there. And I like the movie version a whole lot better. And then when they're advancing on him, they're saying stuff like "you little clever dick," "smarty drawers," and it's like I don't like that. Yeah, like, I don't care. For, I don't care for that at all. It, you know. And they're very, they're much more threatening. They're like, we won't hurt you much. And, uh, and, <laughs> and then what's it? Uh, oh yeah. And then the comic, they're talking about Vernon. Vermin eats anything. And then he's saying, you don't want him to eat bits of you, do you? Important bits. Oh, man. You know, which is like, that's, <laughs> right, he's talking about you're me. <laughs> you seem to be, that's a rather, I don't know if you want to. For the second time this, for the second time this yeah. minute. But, um, but yeah. And then there's little bits of comedy in the script, like, Randall says, just keep quiet and tell us how to get out of here. And Wally says, well, he can't tell us how to get out of here if he keeps quiet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that where they're just kind of arguing. Yeah. And instead of let's get him, Randall just says, right, come on. So I like the let's get him way better. You gotta, you really gotta watch out for Vermin because as the book describes the cap that he's wearing, it looks like it's from the American Civil War, but the book specifies yeah. that it is a Confederate hat, which I'm glad that yeah. they're stealing from Confederate soldiers. 
I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that Vermin does not understand the full depth of implication of wearing a Confederate cap, though. They haven't been to any southern United States in the 1860s to rob anything yet. Well, that's the thing, is that what they're wearing really suggests that they have been all around the universe already. It's so hodgepodge, they're, 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 and it comes from so many different biz- places. Yeah. It's this bizarre pastiche collage of different uniforms from all across the eons. So I'm like, this is one thing we were talking about earlier. Is this just their work clothes? Or what was the funny thing? Yeah, what was the funny thing, Curtis, you were saying? Like, you want to believe that everything that they're wearing was brand new this morning. And that this is just how how slovenly and rough they are on their uh, on, and on all their adventures <laughs> and stuff. So Furman's already in rags, just like straight up rags. And I'm like, oh my God. You get the feeling once we do meet the Supreme Being, that he isn't very big on having a uniform replacement program, yeah. and they are just picking up whatever they can find. Various they bits can of detritus here and there. And and what they do is very rough and tumble. They're gardeners, essentially. They all work together in the gardening department, at least for the last thousand yeah. years. And so lots of digging around in the dirt and getting dirty, and not a lot of not a lot of getting your clothes replaced by <laughs> ever. Hands and knees, digging around in the dirt, getting gross. Yeah. And then the clothes are all used anyway because it's falling through our imperfect universe and the wormholes just falling out of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe even off bodies, who knows? Or off dead off dead souls. Seems to be a lot of uh rough landings with this time travel. Yeah. Well, I don't think we have an example of time travel where someone doesn't fall out of the sky, right? Except for the Cupboard. Yeah. The, the, this, Everyone jumps yeah, in. I think you're right. Everyone jumps into a door and then screams. Mm-hmm. It falls into the ocean. But I think that brings us up to about the end of minute 10, don't you think? Well, Rick and Julia, where can listeners find you if they've liked what they've heard from you so far, from our extremely popular and very much listened to <laughs> podcast? Well, if people want to... Listen to what we have to offer as podcasters. They can go to a little website I like to call madmaxminute.com. There you can find several years worth of podcasts covering each of the Mad Max movies from the original in 1979 all the way up through Mad Max Fury Road in 2015. Currently, we are covering Waterworld two minutes at a time. Because we have once again found ourselves in an awkward position where we've run out of Mad Max movies, so we are killing time until the next one comes out. But we're having a lot of fun over there, and I would very much like if people went over to MadMaxMinute.com and joined us. Well worth a listen. The Time Bandits Minute is a fan project hosted by Curtis Blaze and Duncan Shields. The movie Time Bandits was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and is presented by Handmade Films. The novel Time Bandits was written by Charles Alverson and is based on a screenplay by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. It is published by Severn House Publishing. The comic book adaptation Time Bandits was written by the team at Marvel Comics and presented by Stan Lee. The screenplay, Time Bandits Movie Script, was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. It was published by Doubleday Dolphin Books. You can find more of us at timebanditsminute.com or text us at 712-830-7373. You can also find us at Facebook at Time Bandits Minute, the podcast. Thank you to the Star Wars Minute guys for graciously allowing us to steal the format. If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minutes podcasts, check out moviesbyminutes.com 
Join us next week for Minute 11, when you'll hear Randall say... Stop! Stop! You never start on one. Whoever heard of anybody starting anything on one?